Book Three, Chapter Two of Camilla. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Velwest. Camilla or a Picture of Youth by Fanny Burney. Book Three, Chapter Two: A Pro and a Con. With a pen flowing quick from feelings of the most generous warmth, Edgar wrote the following letter. To Dr. Marchmont, accuse me not of precipitance, my dear doctor, nor believe me capable of forgetting the wisdom of your suggestions, nor of lightly weighing those evils with which your zeal has encompassed me though I write at this instant to confess a total contrariety of sentiment, to call back every promise of delay, and to make an unqualified avowal that the period of caution is past. Camilla is not happy. Something I know not what has disturbed the gay serenity of her bosom. She has forbid me to inquire the cause, one way only remains to give me a claim to her confidence. Oh, doctor, wonder not if cold, tardy, suspicious, I had nearly said unfeeling caution, shrinks at such a moment from the rising influence of warmer sympathy, which bids me soothe her in distress, shield her from danger, strengthen all her virtues, and participate in their emanations. You will not do me the injustice to think me either impelled or blinded by external enchantments. You know me to have withstood their yet fuller blaze in her cousin. Oh, no! Were she despoiled of all personal attraction by the same ravaging distemper that has been so fierce with her poor sister, were a similar cruel accident to rob her form of all symmetry, she would yet be more fascinating to my soul by one single look, one single word, one sweet beaming smile, diffusing all the gaiety it displays, than all of beauty, all of elegance, all of rank, all of wealth, the whole kingdom, in some wonderful aggregate, opposed to her. Her face, her form, however penetrating in loveliness, aid, but do not constitute her charms. No, tis the quick intelligence of soul that mounts to her eyes. Tis the spirit checked by sweetness, the sweetness animated by spirit, the nature so nobly above all artifice, all study. Oh, doctor, Restore to me immediately every vestige, every trait of any promise, any acquiescence, any idea the most distant that can be construed into a compliance with one moment's requisition of delay. Edgar Mandelbear, Cleves Park, Friday evening. Camilla, meanwhile, shut up in her room, wept almost without cessation from a sense of general unhappiness, though fixed to no point, and from a disturbance of mind, a confusion of ideas and feelings that rendered her incapable of reflection. She was again followed by Eugenia, and could no longer refuse to her tender anxiety a short detail of the attack which occasioned her disorder. 
happy at least in reciting it that by unfolding the cause there no longer remained any necessity to repress the effects of her affliction to her great surprise however eugenia only said and is this all my dear camilla all exclaimed camilla yes is it all i was afraid some great misfortune had happened and what could happen more painful more shocking more cruel a thousand things for this is nothing but a mere mistake and you should not make yourself unhappy about it because you are not to blame is it then nothing to be accused of designs and intentions so criminal if the accusation were just it might indeed make you wretched but it is miss margland only who has any reason to be afflicted for it is she alone who has been in the wrong struck with this plain but incontrovertible truth camilla wiped her eyes and strove to recover some composure but finding her tears still forced their way it is not she cried with some hesitation it is not the aspersions of miss margland alone that give me so much vexation the unkindness of indiana indeed she is highly reprehensible and so i will tell her but still if she has any fears however ill-founded of losing edgar you cannot but pardon you must even pity her struck again and still more forcibly by this second truth camilla ashamed of her grief made a stronger and more serious effort to repress it and receiving soon afterwards a summons from her uncle her spirit rose once more to the relief of her dejection upon seeing him seated between miss margland and indiana and discerning that they had been making some successful complaint by the air of triumph with which they waited her approach my dear camilla he cried with a look of much disturbance here's a sad ado i find though i don't mean to blame you nor young mr mandelbear neither taste being a fault one can't avoid not but what a person's changing their mind is what i can't commend in any one which i shall certainly let him know not doubting to bring him round by means of his own sense only my dear in the meanwhile i must beg you not to stand in your cousin's way indeed my dear uncle i do not merit this imputation i am not capable of such treachery indignantly answered camilla treachery lord help us treachery cried sir hugh fondly embracing her don't i know you are as innocent as the baby unborn and more innocent too from the advantage of having more sense to guide you boy treachery my dear camilla why i think there's nobody so good in the wide world by which i mean no reflections never thinking it right to make any indiana sullenly pouting spoke not a word but miss margland with a tone of plausibility that was some covert to its malice said why then all may be well and the young ladies as good friends as ever and mr mandelbear returned to the conduct of a gentleman only just by miss camilla's doing as she would be done by for nothing that all of us can say will have any effect if she does not discourage him from dangling about after her in the manner he does now speaking to nobody else and always asking her opinion about every trifle which is certainly doing no great justice to miss lindmere indiana with a toss of the head protested his notice was the last thing she desired my dear indiana said sir hugh don't mind all that outward shoe mr mandelvere is a very good boy and as to your cousin camilla 
i am sure i need not put you in mind how much she is the same but i really think whatever's the reason the young youths of nowadays grow backwarder and backwarder though i can't say but what in my time it was just the same witness myself which is what i have been sorry for often enough though i have left off repenting it now because it's of no use age being a thing there's no getting ahead of well then all that remains is this said miss margland let miss camilla keep out of mr mandelbear's way and let her order the carriage and go to mrs alberry's to-morrow and take no notice of his likings and dislikings and i'll be bound for it he will soon think no more of her and then of course he will give the proper attention to miss lindmere oh if that's all cried sir hugh my dear camilla i am sure will do it and as much again too to make her cousin easy and so now i hope all is settled and my two good girls will kiss one another and be friends which i assure i am myself with all my heart camilla hung her head in speechless perturbation at a task which appeared to her equally hard and unjust but while fear and shame kept her silent sir hugh drew her to indiana and a cold yet unavoidable salute gave a species of tacit consent to a plan which she did not dare oppose from the very strength of the desire that urged her opposition they then separated sir hugh delighted miss margland triumphant indiana half satisfied half affronted and camilla with a mind so crowded a heart so full she scarcely breathed sensations the most contrary of pain pleasure hope and terror at once assailed her edgar of whom so long she had only thought of as the destined husband of indiana she now heard named with suspicions of another regard to which she did not dare give full extension yet of which the most distant surmise made her consider herself for a moment as the happiest of human beings though she held herself the next as the most culpable for even wishing it she found eugenia still in her room who perceiving her increased emotion tenderly inquired if there were any new cause alas yes my dearest eugenia they have been exacting from me the most cruel of sacrifices they order me to fly from edgar mandelbear to resist his advice to take the very measures i have promised to forbear to disoblige to slight to behave to him even offensively my uncle himself lenient kind indulgent as he is my uncle himself has been prevailed with to inflict upon me this terrible injunction my uncle answered eugenia is incapable of giving pain to anybody and least of all to you whom he loves with such fondness he has not therefore comprehended the affair he only considers in general that to please or displease edgar mandelbear can be a matter of no moment to you when compared to its importance to indiana it is a thousand and a thousand a million and a million times more important to me than it can ever be to her exclaimed the ardent camilla for she values not his kindness she knows not his worth she is insensible to his virtues you judge too hastily my dear camilla she has not indeed your warmth of heart but if she did not wish the union to take place why would she shew all this disquiet in the apprehension of its breach 
Camilla, surprised into recollection, endeavoured to become calmer. "'You, indeed,' continued the temperate Eugenia, "'if so situated would not so have behaved. You would not have been so unjust, and you could not have been so weak. But still, if you had received, however causelessly, any alarm for the affection of the man you meant to marry, and that man were as amiable as Edgar, you would have been equally disturbed.' Camilla, convinced yet shocked, felt the flutter of her heart give a thousand hues to her face, and, walking to the window, leaned far out to gasp for breath. Weigh the request more coolly, and you cannot refuse a short compliance. I am sure you would not make Indiana unhappy. "'Oh, no, not for the world!' cried she, struggling to seem more reasonable than she felt. Yet how can she be otherwise, if she imagines you have more of a notice and esteem of Edgar than herself? Camilla now had not a word to say. The subject dropped, she took up a book, and by earnest internal remonstrances commanded herself to appear at tea-time with tolerable serenity. The evening was passed in spiritless conversation, or in listening to the pianoforte upon which Indiana, with the utmost difficulty, played some very easy lessons. At night the following answer arrived from Dr. Marchmont. To Edgar Mandelbear, Esquire, Parsonage House, Cleves, Friday night. My dear friend, I must be thankful in a moment of such enthusiasm that you can pay the attention of even recollecting those evils with which my zeal only has, you think, encompassed you. I cannot insist upon the practice of caution which you deem unfounded, but as you wait my answer, I will once more open upon my sentiments and communicate my wishes. It is now only I can speak them. The instant you have informed the young lady of your own silences them forever. Your honour and her happiness become then entangled in each other, and I know not which I would least willingly assail. What in all men is base would to you, I believe, be impossible, to trifle with such favour as may be the growth of your own undisguised partiality. Your present vehemence to ascertain the permanent possession of one you conceive formed for your felicity obscures to your now absorbed faculties the thousand nameless but tenacious delicacies annexed by your species of character to your powers of enjoyment. In two words, then, let me tell you what, in a short time, you will daily tell yourself." You cannot be happy if not exclusively loved, for you cannot excite, you cannot bestow happiness. By exclusivity I do not mean to the exclusion of other connections and regard far from it. Those who covet in a bride the oblivion of all former friendships, all early affections, weaken the finest ties of humanity, and dissolve the first compact of unregistered but genuine integrity. The husband, who would rather rationally than with romance be loved himself, should seek to cherish, not obliterate, the kind feelings of nature in its first expansions. 
these where properly bestowed are the guarantees to that constant and respectable tenderness which a narrow and selfish jealousy rarely fails to convert into distaste and disgust the partiality which i mean you to ascertain injures not these prior claims i mean but a partiality exclusive of your situation in life and of all declaration of your passion a partiality in fine that is appropriate to yourself not to the rank in the world with which you may tempt her ambition nor to the blandishments of flattery which only soften the heart by intoxicating the understanding observe therefore if your general character and usual conduct strike her mind if her esteem is yours without the attraction of assiduity and adulation if your natural disposition and manners make your society grateful to her and your approbation desirable it is thus alone you can secure your own contentment for it is thus alone your reflecting mind can snatch from the time to come the dangerous surmises of a dubious retrospection. Remember, you can always advance, you can never in honor go back, and believe me when I tell you that the mere simple avowal of preference, which only ultimately binds the man, is frequently what first captivates the woman. If her mind is not previously occupied, it operates with such seductive sway, it so soothes, so flatters, so bewitches her self-complacency that, while she listens, she imperceptibly fancies she participates in sentiments which, but the minute before, occurred not even to her imagination, and while her hand is the recompense of her own eulogy, she is not herself aware if she has bestowed it where her esteem and regard unbiased by the eloquence of acknowledged admiration would have wished it sought or if it has simply been the boon of her own gratified vanity i now no longer urge your acquiescence my dear friend i merely entreat you twice to peruse what i have written and then leave you to act by the result of such perusal i remain your truly faithful and obliged gabriel marchmont Edgar ran through this letter with an impatience wholly foreign to his general character. "'Why,' cried he, "'will he thus obtrude upon me these fastidious doubts and causeless difficulties? I begged but the restitution of my promise, and he gives it to me in words that nearly annihilate my power of using it.' Disappointed and displeased, he hastily put it into his pocket-book, resolving to see Camilla and commit the consequences of an interview to the impulses it might awaken. He was halfway downstairs, when the sentence finishing with, "'You cannot excite, you cannot bestow happiness,' confusedly recurred to him. "'If in that,' thought he, "'I fail, I am a stranger to it myself, and a stranger for ever.' and, returning to his room, he reopened the letter to look for the passage. The sentence lost nothing by being read a second time. He paused upon it dejectedly, and presently re-read the whole epistle. "'He is not quite wrong,' cried he, pensively. "'There is nothing very unreasonable in what he urges. True, indeed, it is that I can never be happy myself, if her happiness is not entwined around my own.' 
the first blight thus born to that ardent glee with which the imagination rewards its own elevated speculations he yet a third time read the letter he is right he then cried i will investigate her sentiments and know what are my chances for her regard what i owe to real approbation and what merely to intimacy of situation i will postpone all explanation till my visit here expires and devote the probationary interval to an examination which shall obviate all danger of either deceiving my own reason or of beguiling her inconsiderate acceptance this settled he rejoiced in a mastery over his eagerness which he considered as complete since it would defer for no less than a week the declaration of his passion End of chapter 2